This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. We can learn much from uh, 1 Corinthians 12, but specifically, or particularly, on this uh, instrument that is called the body of Christ. We learn about unity, we learn about individual function within uh, the body of Christ. Uh, We learn about corporate worship. Uh, We learn about the pursuance of gifts uh, in order to bless the local body. We learn how we can become stronger members of the local church. There's no doubting, and and the promo for uh, the CMI event next week highlights the fact that the church has been under attack um, in recent decades. And uh, there's no doubt that that attack against the church, Jesus himself taught, would happen even from within the church. You can look into the parables of the kingdom and specifically the parable of the mustard seed uh, which teaches about the enemy nesting within the church. And so let's let's just pray uh, because we need God's blessing on the local church. The local church is, a, is an organism that must survive. It's vital. The church cannot... Uh, disappear into the ether and just be an, an e-church, you know, uh, just be an online church. We need the body of Christ to exist and continue to exist locally. And within Australia, the church is under incredible pressure um, and that pressure is, is continuing to grow all the time, uh, both from within and from without as well. So let's, let's pray that God would just bless us uh, through this message here this morning. Now, Father, we thank you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord God, for the body of Christ. We thank you that the gospel message gives birth to individuals who you plant into the body of Christ, that they are immersed into Christ And individually they form members of your body that jointly those members would work together to be a visible representation of your body in this world. And we pray, Lord, this morning for this little body of people here. We pray for your blessing upon us. We pray, Father, that you would enrich us and teach us embolden us, Lord God, that you would strengthen us to maintain your presence in our homes, in our workplaces. Lord, help us that we would, when we gather together, be edified and strengthened and that we would take that and spread it into the world, Lord God, that we would be a light that is not hidden under a bushel, Lord, but is set upon a hill, that everyone may see it. (coughs) We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. 
1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 27. And we will come back to earlier portions in the coming weeks. Now you are Christ's body. Remember, he's writing this to a church. He's writing it to the church at Corinth. And he's saying to them, specifically, you are Christ's body. So as you read that, as an individual believer, understand that that message uh, uh, relays down through history to you. You are not the Corinthian church, but you're still the body of Christ. You are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Now, this is not a complete list of all the giftings in the church. Um, He's mentioned more than that earlier in the chapter and elsewhere uh, in his writings in Romans and, and various other places. All are not apostles, are they? So what is the answer to that question? No. All are not prophets, are they? No. All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? Yeah, keep going. All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? All right. That's, these are rhetorical questions. They expect a certain kind of answer. The only way you can interpret those questions differently and supply a different answer is if you're wanting to take them out of the context. Then he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts... And still I show you a more excellent way. Anyone want to read the next verse out of chapter 13? more excellent way. What do you think that more excellent way might be? Love. Okay. It's a simple process. So let's in, in breaking the text down, he says you're Christ, uh, Christ's body, both individually, you and I as individuals, we, we make up the body of Christ. We are members individually of his body. To aid the body, God has appointed people to assume offices within the body of Christ and he points out some of those here, apostles, prophets and teachers. Um, He points out more in Ephesians. But these are to aid the body and he's gifted these people accordingly for that purpose. Those who work miracles and healings, those who serve and administer They have an administrative function within the body. Those who speak in tongues, those who interpret tongues, these are some of the giftings that he outlines here. Then Paul raises 
this important but logical set of questions. Is everyone, does everyone, do all? These are the questions. Is everyone an apostle, a prophet, a teacher, a worker of miracles? The answer is no. And uh, the issue is that Paul is suggesting within this text, hey, we're not all workers of miracles. We're not all gifted with healing in miraculous ways. We're not all those who speak in tongues for the benefit of the body and those who edify the body by an interpretation of tongues. We're not all in, in, in gifted in those ways. So the point that Paul is making, and you can, you can see it very clearly as you break it down like that, is though individuals are not gifted with this or with that, they are gifted with something for the edification of the body. You and I each have giftings to bring to the body. So, we are all something in this body of believers. Now, what that is, we're not going to hand out a um, Myers-Briggs personality examination, you know, and, and go through that and, and do, the, do the Christian version of it and, you know, find out what um, some, someone who designed such a form would think your gifting is as a result of your answers. But what we do want to encourage is, as verse 31 says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And, I, and yet, I will show you a more excellent way. I'll show you. You could say, in other, in other words, be desiring, be earnestly seeking for spiritual gifts. But I want to show you something that's more important. And that, as you rightly identified, is love. Love is the governor of gifts. That's how you can understand what Paul is saying here. Seek spiritual gifts for the edification of the body, but understand that the function of those spiritual gifts are under the governance of love. Love is the overriding authority of how a gift functions in the church. Well, you only have to think about uh, situations and circumstances in churches that you've been to to understand how that goes wrong very quickly. You can see someone and you know that person has, God has been blessing them and, and opening up discernment to them. And so often is the case with somebody who, who has that gifting of discernment that many times they're very black and white in their relationships with people that the moment someone says some kooky word that comes out of the Word of Faith movement, that they're instantly at them, heretic! That's heresy, brother! And they're at them because their gifting is not under the governance of love in that moment. 
And this is, this is why Paul says to the church, he's encouraging them to seek gifts for the body. And he's saying, but I want you to understand the overriding governance of love when it comes to how these gifts function in the church. So Paul is not trying to trivialise lesser gifts. It's not that at all. He's saying we're not all apostles. We're not all teachers. So then the question is, what are you? If, if, you, if you know that God hasn't gifted you as a teacher, what are you to the body of Christ? What is God gifting you to? You see, we can't escape the context within which Paul is writing here, and that is he's writing within a context of ministering from within a body of people to a body of people. Okay, Paul is external to this church at the moment. He's, he's elsewhere and he's writing to them and this letter is trans, transferred to them by one of the brothers who takes it there and that letter gets read out to the church. And so this is not Paul saying, hey, here is my gift to you, now you all be edified. Paul is saying, among you are people with giftings. Among you are people who have a gifting to be a leader, to be a teacher, to be a pastor, to have a a gift of discernment, a gift of interpretation of tongues, a gift of speaking tongues to the body, that the body can be edified by that interpretation, etc., etc., etc. It's among you for the edification of the body. That correlates with Ephesians when Paul says that that, uh, within the body God has gifted to the body apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists for the edification of the body that the body then might continue to edify itself. Every parent understands this principle. Parents do not want to raise children who become Adults who are still dependent on them. Amen. Sorry. (laughs) Parents want children who will leave the nest and leave them to a quiet retirement. (laughs) You see... This is, this is important function within the body, that the body of Christ would, would function in such a way that you and I, and we may not even know that God is using us in that gifting until later someone says to us, hey, that call you gave me the other day was just at the right time. And then someone else says, hey, that word of encouragement you gave me the other day was just at the right time. It really helped me. And suddenly we start to realize God's using me and the great thing is I'm not even aware of it. He's, he's blessing other people through, through me and I'm not aware of it. And that's how giftings really function. It's, you know, these self-declared apostles that you find all over Africa. They're always some apostle. And it's very disputable um, anyway because there is a, a large body of teaching that teaches that the apostles are essentially gone. That was the 12 apostles and that nobody has functioned in that particular gifting since then. 
Not everyone believes that. Nevertheless, uh, when somebody is proclaiming themselves to be an apostle, I have question marks, especially when their apostleship has led to them being a multi-millionaire, um, you know, or maybe they're multi-millionaire and so they've declared themselves an apostle. I don't know. Paul's... The, the point is, is that Paul's gift... And, and this is the thing with gifts. This is something important to understand. Paul's gift was very large. His ministry gift to the body was so large, it's still reaching us today. Like, that's pretty phenomenal. That's an amazing gifting. We're reading from it today. The gifting that God gave him to teach the body of Christ is so powerful that today it reaches down 2,000 years later almost and it comes to us in such a way that we are able to read this, comprehend it and be edified by it, be rebuked by it, be encouraged by it, be taught by it. That's a phenomenal gift. But our gifting is more than likely in most cases going to be much more local. It's going to be here with brothers and sisters, not just on Sunday. You see, giftings are really not intended to be universal, as in that we just get online and we declare our um, our e-gift online. That you know, hey, I've got a gift of teaching, and so here's my teaching to the world. That may be true. We might put things online, and and it blesses people all over. But the true intention of a gifting from God is that it would edify one another. I can't just walk into any church and declare myself the pastor of that church. Um, you know, an evangelist can't walk into any church and declare themselves the, the evangelist of that church. That's, that's not how it functions. Within the New Testament church in the book of Acts, you'll, you'll see that as people began to be raised up within the church and began to be put into positions of ministry, the local church recognized that with a concord. They, they, there was a, an, an accord within the church that said yes to that promotion of an individual. Think of Stephen and those, apostles, uh, those disciples who were chosen to help with the distribution of the food to the Hellenistic Jews, the early believers from the Hellenistic Jews. Those people were chosen and the body of believers agreed with that, consented to it and prayed for God to bless them. And Stephen went out and preached and got stoned. With stones, we mean. <laughs> and so it's, it's a function from within the local church that that gifting is recognised. And this is important, beloved, because today the church is being ravaged from within and from without, as I said earlier, but one of the biggest effects upon the church has been the, the electronic world in recent times. Many, many people have said to me over the years, you know, I don't go to church, I just, I, I fellowship online. And, um, you know, I, I think there's value 
online. I think you can get, you know, one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard is a sermon that I got online, and if you're happy to, we'll play it one Sunday. Um, it will bless you. It is, it's the best sermon I've ever heard. You know, it's a great blessing. But for me as an individual, my growth has come from fellowship with people. Because brothers have encouraged me with a word or rebuked me with something. That's where that growth comes from. We're a body of believers. We should function as a body. And if I sit behind a terminal and, and log on to echurch.com, and I don't know if it exists, so you know, don't, who cares? But if you log on to that and you that's where you believe you're getting your fellowship from, that's not the same as being able to eyeball one another and and being able to talk with one another and encourage one another and and gain from people. You know, so much of what we pick up from people is from visible cues and it's not from what people are saying. And we can see that somebody's not okay and we can say to them, is everything all right? And there's usually a response. I've just been crook this week or, yeah, I've got some bad news this week. And you can tell, and that's come from visual clues that you don't get there. You don't get on eChurch. And this is really important for us. One of the big problems, though, is that the local church can be a place in which people get wounded. And this often leads to people withdrawing from that kind of setting and placing themselves at a distance from people because they've been hurt by people. And the worst thing is is that they've been hurt by people from within the body. And that can be hard to deal with. It, it, it can take a lot of giving up and surrender to God to get past some of those wounds, some of those hurts. Some people deliberately try to undermine local churches. Uh, I don't necessarily know why some of them, you know, there could be an occultic influence. Um, There can be many relationships in churches that go bad and um, then one person feels that they have to go or a group of people feel they have to go Um, There are often unresolved conflicts. The question would be why. Some people try to undermine theology of the church. The question would be why. Many people resist serving and helping. The question would be why. Again. Others don't involve themselves in portions of a service. You know, they, they don't like one part of a service or another part of a service. And so... They, you know, they're in early but out early, or vice versa. You know, this kind kind of thing. And the thing that this challenges, if we treat church in that way, if we think that church is um, uh, is like a, a retail option that we can we can just pick and choose. You know, first of all, we can pick and choose. Uh, uh, you know, what kind of worship we submit to or, or, or whatever. Or, you know, you're playing guitars in church. You know, guitars are a modern instrument and when it's electrified, it's, 
It's it's devilish, you know. You know, there's there's appropriate music, and there's there can be inappropriate music in church for sure. But sometimes it's straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel, you know. Like people really get caught up on the wrong thing because it, it's not the important issue. We have to have an organ. Any organists here? <laughs> you see, the, these questions can be confronting because what it does, is when we ask these questions, it actually begins to ask us, well, why aren't people functioning in ways that is overcoming those lackings within the body of Christ. And there can be a couple of reasons. One is that maybe that gifting is not present in that body. I don't, I don't believe that to be true. I believe that God will equip this body, no matter how small it is, with all the giftings that are necessary for this body at any stage it needs those giftings. So that doesn't mean that just because I pray for someone today and they get healed, that I permanently have a gift of healing. But in that time of need, that need was met in that miraculous way. And so we we can, it's possible that we can let the church down by being withheld or, or by maybe just going through the motions all the time and, and not being sensitive to God in prayer that, that we would actually make this an issue. God, grow me and use me in giftings, but Lord, do that under the governance of love. Help me to use that gifting with love. I think for many of us, um, we've had the experience of coming from, um, what would be the word? Uh, A word might be destructive churches. That could be a word to use, you know. Churches that uh, have done damage to people, and we've seen that happen. And, you know, sometimes we've even been a victim of that damage that's been caused. You know, we've been the one who've who've been damaged by people, leaders or, or other people from within that church, um, or we've seen the results of that damage in other people's lives, and uh, we've witnessed that. And as a result, we pull away from exposing ourselves to where that danger might be again. My mate has coined a phrase because he's, he's for many years, been into dog training. And, uh, and he has this little phrase, which is, if you kick a dog, it walks funny. And um, that might sound stupid, but as a postie, I understand this very well because I've encountered a lot of dogs. And, and you can see when you go into a yard and then you see this dog that's, that's in the yard and it walks sideways around you because it's been 
kicked in the head or kicked in the tail by someone, treated very badly, and so it walks sideways. It never approaches you forward and never exposes itself to where it can be injured uh, by somebody again. And, and people are a lot like that. People who've been hurt then begin to develop behaviours that correspond to the way in which they've been hurt because they don't want to expose themselves to being hurt again. This is normal, it's, it's a learned behaviour is what psychologists will call it. They'll say that this person has learned to behave this way, they've been conditioned to it because they've been treated in X manner of way and so now they have Y manner of behaviour. It's a cause and effect relationship. And so it's very possible that you and I, especially if we've come from churches like that, that we ourselves might might have that kind of behaviour and so we're, we're hesitant to give into the local body because last time we did it got abused. We're hesitant to share with people. I mean, you know, I've sat there listening to people's testimonies month by month and, and man, that's some sharing that's happening. That could be abused. That could really be abused by people. But that's been some sharing and some openness. And see, Paul says that this kind of openness and willingness of connection of heart amongst brethren where, where we end up, the, the result is that we edify one another, often without even knowing that God is using us in such a way. Paul says the governance of that is love. Let's read again verse 31. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels. Now, do all speak in tongues? No. But if I do, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Remember, and I show you a still more excellent way. This is what Paul is saying. I want to explain to you something that is more excellent than even your prayers for these giftings. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Love is the governor. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And I show you a still more excellent way. That way is love. There was a, a time where I was very grieved by events that had taken place. And uh, and I, I thought about those events for a long time. There were there were some events that happened that took place in Cornerstone almost a decade ago. And you know they were hard to hard to deal with, hard to understand why they happened. And and uh, you know you, you take these things personally, and other people within the church also felt hurt by them and and didn't understand them and. And 
it came to me after a while as I was reading this passage why I felt so grieved. And it took, a, it took a long time to process it and to understand exactly why. And the reason was is that the actions that were com- committed by some people in the, in the circumstances that I'm talking of, and they're long gone, doesn't matter, but the circumstances are long gone, I mean. But the actions were not actions of love. And that was, you know, in the confusion of it all and all the dust that was unearthed, uh, you know, and all this kind of stuff, when, when this transpired, it was not love that was the motivation behind people's decisions. And that was, at the end of the day, the thing that was most affecting the body of people that were left after uh, the consequences of, of what took place. When you think about two people who, resolve, who, who, who meet together to resolve some sort of conflict, when that's not resolved, many times, especially if it's a relational conflict, we're not talking about a disagreement on some area of theology. Brothers and sisters can have disagreements on secondary issues and tertiary issues and still love each other and respond well to each other and and all that kind of thing. But when there are relational difficulties, when that is not resolved, one person out of that pair, at least one of them, is not responding in love. Possibly both. If love governs that attempt at at resolution, then there will be a resolution. There will be a resolution because love is governing that situation. And so that means that somebody is failing in the more excellent way. And this is why Paul talked about it as being such an important thing. Consider the next few verses of chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. You know, we could spend a lifetime just working on those three words. Love is patient. Uh, Now, maybe, maybe I'm wrong there because I'm sure that all of you are really patient. It's probably just me. Love is kind and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. And this was part of the issue when I talked about the matter before, uh, the, the strife that we experienced and the trouble, it not only was that those actions were not born in love, but I was struggling to love in return. You know, struggling to, to uh, uh, let go of this wrong that I'd suffered. That's how it felt to me. But Paul says it does not take into account a wrong suffered. And that's, that's very confrontational stuff. You know, this is challenging. We read over these words and we just read over the top of them, we gloss over them and we go, oh, how amazing is love? You know, 
we read this out at weddings all the time, you know. Love's just so amazing and we don't even think about what it's just said to us. I mean, it just said it's patient and kind. Let's go back to to that. Then it says it doesn't take into account wrongs that are suffered. Now, come on, that gets hard. Because you and I, our pride gets damaged and when we're wronged, we want to let people know how we've been wronged. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. I've heard believers speak about someone who has once professed faith in Christ and... and, uh, you know, their behavior was was questionable for a long time and then you find out years later that they've gone off into a life of sin and I've heard them almost rejoicing over that because it justified the question marks that they had about them. It shouldn't be a rejoicing, that should be a grieving. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Now, people have discussed this passage from all kinds of angles, but keeping within the context of this passage, and the context is that love governs our actions. That's what the context is. If you have a gifting, love is the governor of that gifting. Right? Love is, is the controlling influence of how that gift functions. That's the context of it. And let's not read any more into it than what is there. Let love govern the function of every gift. Every gift is under the governance and regulation of love. Every action that we commit to in life, in fact, is under the governance and regulation of love. If I want to give my, uh, my goods to the poor, I shouldn't be doing it so that I can boast to everybody, oh, look what I've done. Every conflict is to be under the governance and regulation of love. Every decision we make, every failing, and then trying to rescue that failing and and try to work through it is under the governance and regulation of love. It's not, I mean, this passage is not a cessationist, non-cessationist debate passage. Oh, see, the gifts are gone or the gifts are still here. It's not that. This passage is about how love controls the function of spiritual gifts and the actions of our life. How love governs the motivation and the drive of your Christian life. That's what this passage is about. And to read more into it is erring. E-double-R-I-N-G. You see, love by its very nature matures you beyond where you are. That's what happens. 
I mean, kids are, you know, kids are sloppy and untidy and, and we spend time training them and teaching them to pick up after themselves and things like that. And, you know, Suzanne had a great rule with our kids when they were little that they pulled some toy out and then they wanted to go for another one and leave that one there. She, she would say, yep, yeah, no worries, you can bring that out as soon as you've packed this one up. So there was no, she wasn't impeding their fun, but she was teaching them that this process of pack up as you go and clean up as you go. And, and you know that something's happening when it becomes something of a, uh, not just a habit, but something where they know it's pleasing to their mother to actually do that, to pick up after themselves. You know something's happened then. Because it's gone beyond just uh, a, a response of rote obedience to something of caring about other individuals. I know this will stress her out if this is left here. No, I don't want to do that because then the consequences come back to me. So. Look at verse 9 and onwards. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And there are some people who've argued that the perfect was the word of God. When the, perf- when the perfect word of God came, then the gifting of prophecy and knowledge didn't function. And the word perfection there um, should be translated to mean maturity or completion. When completion comes. And so, you know, there's something wrong with a, a 25-year-old who still wants his mum to cook and wash and clean after him. He hasn't perfected. He hasn't matured. When maturity comes, he takes on manly responsibilities and starts looking after himself. That's what that is saying. When completion comes, the incomplete is done away. Right? If you want a, a glass full of water, if it's only half full, fill it up and the half-fullness will be gone away. That's, um, that might sound ridiculously simple to you, but in order for you to get rid of a half-full glass, fill it up. And the half-fullness has gone away. That's what Paul is saying. My immaturity has been replaced by maturity, is what he's saying there. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child, When I became a man, I did away with childish things. My immaturity has been replaced by maturity, is what Paul just said. And and so, you know, it's a simple argument. It's a simple position. For now we see in a mirror dimly, you know, now in this world and in this life, things are unclear and some things are incoherent. We will struggle with knowledge and all this kind of stuff. But then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. The greatest of these is love. Because, you know, when then... Remember, he's talking about what is now and what is then, right? Now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Now we have partial understanding. Then we shall have full understanding. 
When's he talking about? When is he talking about? Now and then. What's now? And then is in eternity. Right? Now we have faith, hope and love. Then we will have love. Because in eternity we won't need faith. When you are in the presence of Christ Jesus, your faith will be complete. And it will be gone. Faith is from now till then. Then is love. Hope is from now till then. Then is love. That's why love is the greatest. And not only that, love is the greatest because love brings maturity to the believer so that the believer's actions and motivations and giftings result in the edification of the body of Christ. So I really, I really want to urge you, beloved, that you would seek God for spiritual gifts, giftings for this body and the wisdom of love to govern those giftings. You know, you can call someone and say, didn't see you at church on Sunday, you're flaking out. Or you can say, hey, I missed you on Sunday. Is everything okay? Do you need prayer? Is there anything I can help you with? Two different motivations. One is that from that damaging organization I was talking about before, you know, where everything's about controlling people's lives and and watching and making sure that everyone is in step and doing everything right. The other is, well, who cares about that? Are you okay? It's a motivation of love. And and so I want to encourage you, pray for spiritual gifts, because I believe you have gifts for the body. But pray that God will give you the, the wisdom of the governance of love for how that gift functions. And that will be part of God's process to bring you and I as a body to maturity in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.